Hey guys, what's up? Anshul here from Daily Passenger Responsible Travel Podcast. Before we start, I have something to announce. This podcast has finally crossed 5000 streams and it just feels so awesome. I don't know what to say. Thanks a lot to each and every one of you who has been around and checked out all the episodes since day 1. I don't know why I sound so sarcastic while saying this but I genuinely mean every word that I say. Without you it wouldn't be possible to reach this milestone. I would also like to share an offer to collaborate. If you are someone who has a small business, your business revolves around zero waste, upcycling, recycling, you make eco-friendly soap, shampoo bars, clothes, then hit me up on Twitter, Instagram or my email and I'll place a 30 second ad in the beginning of two episodes. This is absolutely free and my way of giving back to the community. Today we are going to talk about one of the most necessary unnecessary evils of modern tourism. Bird watching or birding is a very nice concept if done well. But most of the tourists don't know how to observe bird life in the forest. The idea should be to enjoy this activity slowly and patiently, but the inexperienced birders ruin it for everyone. Irresponsible birding causes adverse effects on wildlife and the local population of the avifauna. This in process affects the germination of seeds and plant growth patterns. Once our activities drives birds away from a place, drastic changes happen to the local ecosystem. But I am not an expert and you won't believe me. So I have invited someone who has been researching bird patterns for a long long time. Titas is the founder of School of Birds, a sustainable travel organization that aims to reach masses with the purpose of raising awareness about birds life. and how their existence is important for the ecosystem around the world so without further ado let's start this session and welcome titas before we start don't forget to subscribe and check out the old episodes hi titas how are you doing yeah hi anshul i am doing okay because of the lockdown i guess nobody is doing absolutely great i think i'm doing okay with my privilege existence how are you doing ansh i'm good too same not not very uh, life is not that exciting but yeah it is going on so titash uh, as we are starting so let's start with an introduction on what is school of birds and how did you come up with this concept so hi ansh uh, regarding school of birds i think you already know that it is an educational venture and it is aimed for you know making uh, children aware regarding the natural world that is surrounding us every one of us birds being you know birds are everywhere and they are often a gateway family for all the naturalists around us that we see most of them get introduced to the world of nature through birds they start with bird watching since they are everywhere and you can observe them their behavior their daily lives all around you even from your balcony or terrace you can do that so that's kind of a gateway family and also birds capture children's imagination and even in fact all of human imagination because of their special ability to fly let alone that we often deem birds to be you know one of the more beautiful families that is there 
uh, on earth and that's why they have a special place in people's hearts so that's why it is school of birds which introduce which wants to introduce children to the magical world of nature birds being just the gateway you know so that they start uh, appreciating nature more and more and what we do uh, in the course is that we show children uh, documentaries we interact children with the help of documentaries on the life cycle of birds in all their similarities and differences with human beings so birds are very similar to us in the ways that they are also driven by the basic needs of survival of you know finding food of finding partners of raising children making homes before raising children actually and that's how a life cycle of bird is pretty much similar to that of human beings as well so we try to strike up these interactions that, uh, with the children about how similar birds are to us and as well as how unique and uh, different their behavior can be performing these basic needs of life and regarding how i came up with the idea actually uh, it was a collective idea i should say it was not that the idea came from the top of my head one day so uh, i want to go back to the beginning of my bird watching days actually i started watching birds being really inspired by a documentary series by sir david attenborough called life of birds it's a bbc series and i would request everyone to search it out and watch it it has 10 episodes and in the last episode there was this other uh, the entire series was brilliant and on the in the last episode there was this story of a farmer in utah in the U- usa who you know he owned a ranch he owned a farm and also he was taking care of some very rare family of cranes which was about to go extinct there were a few hundred individuals left in the wild so he took it upon himself to raise a uh, wild uh, crane chicks by his hand so that the parent cranes they can go into breeding again so what he would do is he would take the eggs from the nest and raise them in an incubator all by himself and he would basically be their mother he would basically pretend to be their mother so when the chicks would hatch he would uh, teach them how to feed by uh you know wearing a sock glove kind of a thing on his hand which would look like a crane and he would imitate the action of feeding and everything and that's how the chicks learned to feed and one day they would need to learn to fly so now that he had established himself as the mother of these chicks he would uh, encourage them to chase after him on his uh on his vehicle all over the farm so that's how the chicks started running after his vehicle and they learned to fly and the story goes on uh, even more further that these cranes were migratory cranes so they migrated to mexico during winters and so this man had built a plane to take them on their first migration as well and that's how the entire uh, series had ended on this note and it was so impactful that i could not really sleep that night and I, the next from the next morning on i started bird watching i had a very basic pocket shoot camera uh, at that time so i had started bird watching and i found so many birds and from there on i would suggest everyone to please uh, 
watch School of Birds. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, The Life of Birds by Sir David Attenborough. So I would encourage my friends, my acquaintances, my family members to please watch these documentaries. And uh, later on, what happened is that uh, my parents were uh, actually volunteering for an organization, for an NGO over here in Bengal. Uh, it was a school which uh, mostly looked after the children's health care and education and women's education and women empowerment issues in two villages in Bakura district. So uh, I was working for an organization called Rocky Fit, which you know uh, of. And uh, so at that time, even my mother was telling me, why don't you teach the children over there regarding birds and said that there's an opportunity to work with these, with this NGO. And that's how I went there with a laptop and I started teaching the children over there uh, one fine morning in, you know, 2015 early 2015 and that's how it started and now the course has evolved and it has developed into four sessions and now we take the children on field trips as well the kolkata children are taken you know there are few habitats over here around in kolkata we take them there that's really great like uh, the journey itself is like really amazing to learn about School of Birds, so as you have said, yeah, the School of Birds focuses a lot on educating children on bird behavior and sighting. Animal yeah. and awareness was also one of the projects that School of Bird Conservation India Trust used to do when I was volunteering with them. Mm -hmm. uh, while I know this uh, in, a, in a certain way, would you like to explain why uh, these programs are important for children and why uh, schools and uh, more schools and co colleges should focus on them? Uh, yeah, definitely. So, I would like to emphasize that when I was in school, all of this was not being taught in the school. And I think I was in class A when environment education got, was like a mandatory subject which got introduced in our academics at that time. And at that time, we did not have teachers in school who, you know, uh, who were experts on the environment. So what used to happen in my case was the English teacher used to teach us uh, about EVS, which we used to call that subject in school. And recently I was uh, teaching music in a school for three years. And upon interaction and upon uh, looking at the CBSE syllabus as well, I found that the EVS subject is still being, and I was back in school. When I was back in school in class eight, it was like 2002, 2003. And this is, I'm talking about 2016 to 19. The pattern of studying EVS has still not changed. In the education system, it is looked upon just like as a side subject, uh, which is not really the case. This is a very dire hour of the environment. And even uh, you, I think you know about Greta Thunberg's movement uh, called School Strike for climate she's a very young girl of 17 and she is uh, revolting by not going to school on fridays and now she doesn't even go to school and many millions of children in the western world they have started revolting uh, because of the climate crisis that is going on and that has been going on ever since i think industrialization came in and we pumped in all of the carbon dioxide uh, into the atmosphere and all the other greenhouse gases mostly carbon dioxide so since the environmental aspect of it is so much neglected still even in 2020 when 
the world is going through crippling changes of climate crisis i think this should be a mandatory course about making children aware about nature and how nature works the science behind it and our place within nature and what roles we play in the ecological balance and how are we supposed to are how are we getting affected by all of this and of course we cannot see the uh, it's a foreseeable future that things are going to get even worse from here on uh, scientists are claiming that but the way our society is with the huge amount of consumption per capita in terms of you know energy or in terms of land or what not so uh, that's how i think and it's increasing day by day in terms of fossil fuel and the population is also on the rise although the i think the yearly population growth rate has decreased but the growth has not uh, it, it should go down technically <laughs> for this to be reversed so there's a lot of bad things going on and the future generation needs to be made, uh, aware related uh, regarding all of this i hope that uh, the environmental education takes a front seat above other education all over the world actually for us to be able to reverse this when the other when the next generations they come into you know responsible positions in society and they hold important chairs to be able to make changes agree agree like uh, update in environmental education is very important as of now anyways coming to a little uh, lighter topic uh, what are your favorite birding destinations in india and if uh, you have done abroad then uh, i like to know about them too uh, no so i have never been outside of india if you consider waters of nepal and bhutan to be <laughs> abroad because i have trekked and uh, in the context of nepal actually one of my really favorite destinations would have to be the singalila trail because i have uh, hiked for days in those regions and these are like pristine regions of the world and bird watchers from all across the world they come to the himalayas for birding and especially the eastern himalayas so, which include the northeastern states of uh, sikkim and the seven sisters as well as you know parts of north bengal there are actually a lot of favorite destinations for me all across the himalayas the singalila trail uh would be one the, even parts of sikkim and these singalila ranges and all these adjacent mountains of the north bengal and sikkim they have kind of the similar habitat and there are hundreds of different species of birds that you find at varying altitudes so if you are uh, above the tree level you will uh, you will find different birds if you are in the you know if you are within 3000 to 4000 meters altitude you would find different variety of birds if you are in the lower reaches below 3000 meters you will find uh, even more variety and abundance because those are rainforest regions receiving a lot of the monsoon rains of india so these parts would be one of my favorite it's close to home as one of the destinations uh, in these regions of north bengal and sikkim would also be you know there's a small quaint hill town called lot poncho where there is a very rare um, hornbill which is there rufous necked hornbill and it's 
found only in this northeastern parts of India. Whereas uh, you know about the hunting traditions of uh, the tribes that live in the northeastern states of Arunachal, Nagaland, and so on. So it's going absolutely almost extinct in those parts. Even the uh, some of the Naga tribes they have this um, uh, headgear that they make of hornbill uh, casks, their bills, and the one which we call the horn. So they have this traditional headgear and attire, which includes the hornbill's feathers and its cask. So that's how hornbills are uh, really getting this hornbill particularly is very rare. And it is uh, for the photographer, for the bird enthusiast, they can only see this hornbill in the North, in the North Bengal wildlife sanctuary called Mahananda. So I've been there quite a number of times and if you go there during March to um, late March to, uh, you know, me, you'll find the hornbills in their nests. So once I was there with my brother-in-law, he is also a bird watcher and we were, you know, hiding behind the bush and trying to focus on the nest. So what happens uh, during that time is the female, it goes inside the nest and it seals itself with uh, wood, chewed up wood with its own, uh, you know, with its own shit and all kind of uh, its saliva. It seals the nest, leaving only a small slit uh, open for the male to come and pass the food during uh, almost three to four months this happens. And due to the heat generated inside the nest cavity, she also sheds her feathers inside the nest. And finally, when the chick grows up, so they come out of the nest cavity. So we were sitting there and that was the time when, you know, uh, I think she had laid her eggs and she needed food and the male was uh, seen continuously coming to the nest with a crop full, with a mouthful of fruits, sometimes even insects or lizards, small reptiles like that. And we were sitting there and we had not disturbed the birds at all because we were at a huge distance and the nest was also very close to the road. Then we had taken a few shots and a video of that bird and we had gone on to the trail when the male bird suddenly we could hear like, you know, the, a helicopter going off. Hornwheels are really huge. And the where, where we were standing, the male bird had come over there and perched on a tree just next to us. And... Then we saw like one more bird watcher approaching us from behind and he is like telling us to be cautious and not move too much. And later on, we got to know from him, he's a local over there, and we got to know from him that the male's favorite hunting patch for lizards was that area where we, were, where we had gone off to from the nest location. And... That was an amazing feeling to share a really small space with such a huge bird. It was literally like, you know, 10 feet away from us and looking at us, looking down on us and we were looking up at him. So that was an amazing moment. And it's uh, the birding is actually filled with a lot of such moments. Uh, the bird doesn't necessarily have to be really beautiful. It can be a very rare bird that can churn really great emotions out of you or it can be really colorful bird, can be a really small bird which comes up to you. Also one more I would like to add, it's from the same place, It's uh, but it's really memorable in the, in the sense that I once got attacked by a small falcon, so it's called a collared falconet. 
and it's from Lord Poncharulli in Mahananda Wildlife Sanctuary, North Bengal. So we had gone, we had just reached that place, and we saw this falconate sitting on a wire in front of our homestay. So uh, the homestay owner he invited us in, and uh, it, I had gone there that time with my brother-in-law once again. So he invited us in for some tea, and I was having some tea from the first floor balcony and I was looking directly into the falconet's eyes. And then what I did was I unpacked and got out, got out my camera because that was the first time I've seen that bird. And it's like, it's a little bit bigger than a sparrow, but not really big. It's the smallest falcon, smallest bird of prey that is found in India. So I, uh, then I kept my tea and I went downstairs and I pointed the camera at the bird. I took a few photos and I was staring up at the bird when it suddenly swooped and uh, like a trace of bullet. You should also know before this that falcons are the first, fastest um, flyers in the bird world and they dive bomb at you. At uh, Even they can dive at more than 200 miles per hour, some falcons. This bird dived at me and it just went past my ear like a trace of bullet which which has really never happened with me in all these years of birding yeah that's really funny i have only been attacked by monkeys and uh, cows during my travels <laughs> a lot of issues affect bird life hunting and pollution have reduced bird population from a lot of places birds have a pattern that is directly affected due to threats on over tourists and irresponsible behavior from tourists have you noticed something like this personally? Yeah. Personally, what I have noticed is that in bird tourism specifically, what happens is people chase after rare birds a lot. They don't appreciate the... Most, most bird watchers these days, they are in a competition for the best photo. And they are also in competition of how many species they can see. Which is really, I mean, that takes out all the fun and joy out of it, being in a competition. I watched a movie once where it said only, uh, I, uh, I might sound a bit racist, but it was an American movie. And it said that only Americans can turn bird watching into a, into a competition. <laughs> so, uh, it, the name of the movie is The Great Year. It has Jack Black in it. And that's where, you know, the Great Year is a thing in the USA where people compete for the most number of species seen in a year. Bird watchers compete for that. And it's the same kind of trend that is happening in India is that people are looking for the most number of species or the most uh, the best photograph that they can see. And they would go to literally any extent. So I heard from a friend in Bangalore that a few people were caught, you know, trying to, uh, trying, they killed a snake and they put it as a bait to capture the photo of a snake eagle who was there. And this is a lot of thing that's happening in bird tourism. People are playing calls of birds to bring them out of their forest homes. Okay. And <clears throat> they are, Playing there, you know, their breeding calls most of the time that a partner would call to its mate that call they're playing so that uh, their partners, their mates can come out of their hiding and then they would get the photograph. They are also trampling all over vegetation 
uh, even bird guides in the Himalayas, I've personally seen some bird guides. They are using these unethical means to satisfy their customers, which is wrong again. And I would also like to uh, share an experience which happened personally with me was that in 2014, uh, there's a bird called the white-tailed robin, which was spotted in Kolkata very much coincidentally. I was lucky to be the first person to spot this bird in a uh, very green zone over here in South Kolkata. So at that time, I was I was also a novice and I was really excited by the finding. So I put it up on social media and went there the next day. And I found like at least 40, 50 photographers with their massive lenses chasing the bird around like crazy and I thought that uh, this is completely wrong and that's when kind of a change took place in me and I never bothered to see that bird that even on that day I literally fled the scene and did some other bird watching like I saw the birds that are generally found there it, this was winter so that bird had migrated from um, from the northeastern state, somewhere from in the Himalayas. And it was the first time that it was seen and the bird watchers from that social media forum, they had seen the photo and they had gone really crazy and they had all flocked uh, to there and disturbed the bird. And the bird, it stayed only for a few days or probably it uh, stayed even longer, but it hid itself uh, away from the roads which were used during the, that time. So but it, it was really a lot of a disturbance for the world. These things keep on happening. Uh, you have uh, mentioned about a camera multiple times now. So I would really like to know about the equipment yeah. that you use for bird watching. No, my equipment is very simple. So I still use a point and shoot camera. It's a Canon SX. I used to use a Canon SX 50HS with a 50 uh, times optical zoom. This is a very good camera for bird watching. It's not a really good camera for uh, landscapes as such or even portraits. So it has a good high zoom so that you can, without disturbing the bird, you can be at a distance and zoom in on it to watch its activity and even like take good photographs. Uh, so uh, that's what I was using for three years before that camera uh, died. And now I use the same same, uh, I mean, from the same series, I use the SX60Hs, which has a 65 times optical zoom. God knows why they named it 60Hs, but it has a 65 times optical zoom. <laughs> so that's the gadget I'm using. And I also use binoculars. Uh, it's a Olympus 1050 binoculars with 10 times magnification. And very lately, I have uh, found the joy of bird watching in binoculars as well. Nowadays, I rarely uh, use the camera uh, like all of the time. There is a difference between both the feelings, like seeing a bird through your binoculars, not clicking it. It has a gives you a more rewarding kind of feeling, right? Like you have seen something very beautiful, but you and it was so gorgeous or so amazing that you forgot to click it or you didn't bother to click it. It is also like very unique feeling. I have, I have done that while attending Kazakhstan. Definitely, definitely. Also, most of the time, I'm and so bird watching is just a state of being. 
you can never undo that state of being so even uh, if i am going to get some grocery uh, you know from the local shop nearby even then if something ha happens uh, surrounding birds generally the eyes and the ear ears tend to turn that way and it's a general state of being so i would uh, edit my previous comment so i would like to say that most of the time i do bird watching with my naked eyes even without using any gadget <laughs> these days and binoculars come with that camouflage thing na that doesn't uh, disturb birds in their natural habitat yeah yeah, yeah. so camouflage uh, regarding camouflage so the camouflage t-shirts and your camouflage attire is very much necessary if you want to hide yourself also uh, one thing which is very necessary to uh, do ethical birding is i have generally seen that human beings in front of birds they feel very powerful which they wouldn't feel if they face a tiger in the wild all of a sudden so they have no respect for the bird because it's small it's usually smaller than humans take uh, take aside from the ostrich problem <laughs> and a few cranes and pelicans so that's how they don't have any respect and they uh, most bird watchers you know most people who start off actually i wouldn't uh, say most bird watchers but even i used to do uh, this that i would used to approach them very boldly and the, then the bird would fly off so it's very necessary to be uh, to make yourself feel small in front of the bird and it gets the vibe that you mean no harm to it so it would stay and do its activity even many birds are there which wouldn't really uh, be bothered to do it their activities in front of you if if you don't feel like a threat so that's the best part of it is when you can feel when you can make yourself feel small in front of them the vibe kind of reaches across as a conclusion it is a game of patience you can't hurry and uh, it's all in, depends on how patient you are how patient you are how much time you feel to yes, yes, the activity yeah speaking yeah. of ethical birding it is a popular activity these days among a certain niche of travelers how can we enjoy mm. this activity in a more ethical way maintaining a distance is very important when you are watching a bird so that you don't disturb it. in any case if you disturb a bird then it wouldn't stay in front of you and you wouldn't get to watch its activity in the first place so i would suggest people to uh forget about getting the best photograph because in doing that what people do is they run towards the bird and probably they click the good photograph as well that they came for but in doing so after the photograph the bird vanishes then they are left with uh, you know moments of looking into the camera of how this the photos came so the for the photography enthusiasts also i would suggest that uh, if they can keep a distance from the bird then let the bird come to you rather than go towards the bird that would be something and make yourself feel small of course where uh, wear attire that matches the surroundings don't move too much don't trample around on the vegetation that can be really important habitat for if not birds then for some 
uh, reptiles, some skinks, some lizards, some insects, which the birds feed on and which, you know, play a, an important role in the ecology of the habitat that uh, people are walking on. Don't uh, use uh, deodorants or perfumes because it could, you know, overlap onto the smell of other species of wildlife that are there, which could confuse them really or interrupt their daily activities. And of course, don't use any electronic devices apart from the camera that you're carrying. Uh, don't use a, uh, keep your cell phone on the silent mode. Don't let it ring uh, out loudly. Don't play music. Many people while hiking have found that they're playing music loudly. Use your earphones if you have to uh, listen to your favorite music while hiking on a trail. Even earphones would give you a better sound quality than playing it loudly and don't talk too loud when you're in the in the forest or in silent appreciating nature in its true beauty so i would suggest that the listener is i think most people who are hiking in the mountains and are traveling they're already aware of such stuff but still we come across some people who go by the unethical means as well and there's so much litter in india that you see all over the trails. Not to litter is the very basic and they can just to promote the culture of, you know, picking up the litter so that someone gets influenced by other people's actions as well. So if I start picking up litter, someone who is walking beside me would be also be influenced to do that. Also, litter is uh, directly ha harmful for wildlife that might come across it and along with the grass, probably a deer would eat a plastic and it can choke uh, itself or it can die of other uh, other uh, stuff that is there in the plastic. I'd like to add along with Tashka point that always go with an ethical burden, yeah. not someone that takes burden as a tourism. If not that, then go with a local and learn local names of the birds rather than scientific names because it will encourage the population of that local area to preserve that bird population from getting extinct. Book a homestay in these regions, provide employment for local guides, and as Tita, as Tita said, don't force them to follow unethical means. Definitely. That's a very uh, interesting point that you said uh, regarding the learning the local names, which I have learned for a lot of uh, Himalayan birds. I've learned their Nepali names. And I maintain a diary of sorts for those Nepali names. Maybe someday they will come to, you know, I want to make a collection and probably for School of Birds, even if you are doing it in the hills somewhere, uh, it will be very useful for me to communicate with the children with the local names. Yes, yes. that's an easy very way to connect with, uh, connect and educate locals about the local, uh, the bird population that is found in their area. It's a very uh, easy way. As a birder, you are used to field work and living in nature. So, how are you taking lockdown now that it has affected your personal and professional life? It's, uh, I would say, I was having a really difficult time during the initial parts, end of March and throughout April, I was having really difficult times in coping up with the sudden change of lifestyle. And in even uh, with the fact that I am from a privileged background and can still afford 
three meals a day and a roof on my head and all the safety which uh, so many millions of people they can't afford in india so it was a really tricky uh, existential situation back then but uh, i'm also a musician and oh, right now i've created kind of home studio setup to record uh, some of my own material and also i am digging deep into my bird content as well i've taken a lot of videos i want to create uh, many videos for school of birds so which i have started doing now that's been about it i've been cooking uh, i've never cooked so much in my life <laughs> but i really found a passion for cooking as well uh, this has been i guess this has been the uh, most productive time for me musically yeah, as as, a, as going musically i would say i've always i've never left music as such but uh, as for growth i have been doing so many stuff parallelly that uh, this few months i have found a lot of time to do music and nothing else no traveling so i hope what the situation gets better as soon as possible and you know, people find work again and everything is back to as it seems as it was everything goes back to normal which is not really normal and i definitely want people to really be more aware regarding the climate crisis situation because um, even the you know the permafrost in the arctic melting and it can release even more de- deadlier viruses and this is these are really strange times i hope the environmental education is taken seriously so that we can at least stall the process of climate crisis reversing the process would be really far fetched of a thought right now step 1 would be to at least stall it so i don't know how the powerful people in the world they are going to go about things right now after this pandemic it will be for a little bit better thank you ditash for these amazing insights i hope that more people follow these ethical rules and regulations when it comes to bird watching awareness is very necessary definitely definitely thank you so much for having me over i uh, wish you all the best for your venture as well going forward and capturing all these uh, you know facets of sustainable tourism and uh, so that's about it you can connect with titash at you can connect with me at on instagram i am i go by the name at the rate t i t a s h c and my facebook i have a facebook page which solely is dedicated towards my music it's again you, you can search by t i t a s h that's my facebook page i i really do urge everyone who's listening to go and follow the school of words page on instagram it goes by the handle at the rate school of birds and on facebook we are by the name at the rate birding the subcontinent that's the handle the name of the page is school of birds on facebook and you can also follow me on twitter or instagram to share your suggestions all the details are mentioned in the description of this podcast episode i hope that you all are doing well in these weird times of our lives You are listening to Daily Passenger Responsible Travel Podcast. 
I'll meet you guys with a new episode and a new guest soon.